Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hello everyone, this is Chris Connolly with the HarperCollins Library Marketing Team, joined today by Lainey Mays and Virginia Stanley. This is the Library Love Fest podcast, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Rupi Aljula, and he has a new book coming September 17th, Eat to Beat Illness, 80 Simple Delicious Recipes Inspired by the Science of Food as Medicine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, so I guess just to start off with, could you introduce yourself, give some background uh, about your medical sure. history? Sure, sure. So uh, I'm Dr. Rupi. Um, just call me Rupi. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm an NHS general practitioner, uh, and I also work in emergency medicine. And I'm a firm believer in what you choose to put on your plate being one of the most important health interventions that anyone can make. Uh, a few years ago now, I started a passion project called The Doctor's Kitchen, where I create recipes and talk about the clinical research behind the ingredients I use in an effort to inspire everybody about the beauty of food and the medicinal effects of eating well. Um, and what started as like a little YouTube project kind of snowballed into um, Harper Collins in the UK approaching me to write a cookbook and stuff. And, and now I find myself in a position where I'm trying to influence the new generations of medics and doctors to appreciate the, uh, the, the medicinal effects of, of lifestyle change as well as our diets. Um, and so I, I sort of started this um, journey after a personal incident. So about 10 years ago, I had uh, something called atrial fibrillation just where um, your heart beats exceptionally fast, and in my case, uh, irregularly as well. Um, I had a whole bunch of different cardiology tests and investigations, and there wasn't a trigger found. And it wasn't until my family said, you know, you really need to start looking at your lifestyle and what you're eating to see if that's having an effect. And really to appease them, I started changing up my lifestyle, changing how uh, my, my stress levels, my sleep hygiene, all these different things. And I was actually able to overcome my own condition. And so that was the light bulb moment because as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, in conventional medical training, nutrition and lifestyle isn't a focus. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to say that's, that's changing a lot in the UK and the US as well. And when you were undergoing or you know experiencing this this kind of change in how you approached your lifestyle and diet, were there resources at that point? Like where where did food as medicine stand in the medical community at that point? And have you seen a change? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good question, and I think uh, it, the availability of information out there now with the advent of social media is way way higher than it was back then when I started doing um, uh, looking into any literature that I could find. So I really had to start from scratch. I, I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't know what a healthy meal really looked like. Um, I had some knowledge from my family because I'm from an Indian background and Ayurveda sort of, so, you know, kind of seeps into everything in cooking, you know, the combination of spices, the time of day that you eat, the sort of things that you might take out if you're not feeling well, etc. Um, and 
I basically just did a deep dive into nutrition literature. So looking at clinical papers, looking at EPIC studies, looking at um, uh, the PREDIMED Leon Hart study. These are really, really big, old studies that we've been sitting on for a number of years. And it just demonstrates the power of lifestyle and dietary change, reducing the outcomes of, of issues that are burdening healthcare systems all around the world, including the, uh, the US as well, even more so. So that was sort of my introduction. And then when I started learning about this stuff, I was like, wow, okay, or well, I need to A, apply this to my own life and B, start having more open, honest conversations with patients about it. And um, and they loved it. It was great. Um, I found myself running late in clinic quite often because I would just be having conversations about, you know, what to eat for breakfast and, and how to get more nuts and seeds into your diet and stuff and what the benefits of those might be too. So with all of this knowledge, how do you distill that into this book, Eat to Be Illness? Like, What can someone expect when they pick this book up? Yeah, so I decided, because this is the second book that I've written, um, the first one to be released in the US. And so I decided with this book, I really wanted to give people that blueprint to understand what food as medicine really means. It's about simple changes to what we eat to amplify our defenses at ever getting ill in the first place. And so... I decided to zoom into different specialties, so eye health, immune health, cancer, mood, all these things that we don't really think are related to our plates. And by zooming in and, and describing what the literature says, as well as lifestyle medicine, all these different sorts of um, uh, features of information, um, and then inviting everyone to zoom out and look at the correlation between all those different chapters it's very much the same thing and these can be distilled into principles of healthy eating so what are those well there's there's five that i allude to in the final chapter it's eating quality fats lots of different types of fiber having a plant focused diet so you don't need to go 100 percent vegan or vegetarian whatever it's completely up to you uh, getting lots of colors into your diet and eating in time, that means in a rough 10 to 11 hour window as well. And when you apply those principles, you put your body in the best environment as possible where it allows itself to look after itself. And that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but we have these <laughs> innate mechanisms that look after our health. Um, and you know, simultaneously, you'll be supporting your guts, supporting your immune system, improving your mental health, um, and without it sounding like a panacea, it is the basis by which we should uh, start medical inventions uh, thereafter, not you know, try pharmaceuticals first without doing lifestyle interventions. And obviously this is a challenge universally for people as, as far as developing that healthy relationship with food and mm -hmm. how it impacts your both physical and mental health. You live in London, correct, mm -hmm. but you travel pretty extensively. Do you notice any big differences depending on where you're speaking or who your audience is? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I did a talk uh, on Monday. Um, I was really uh, delighted to be invited by Chef David Boulay, um, who's been in this game for many years. He's Mission Star Chef and he's done this food uh, doctor and chef series. And so we did a big Q&A and um, they're like, four hours long or something like that it was it was really extensive and the questions are so similar to the ones that I get back in London everyone wants to know about common themes like gut health bloating um, cancer risk um, a, a whole bunch of different things and that's what I decided and I've been doing lectures and talks now for, for a long time 
Um, and that's what I decided to pack into the book because these are the common things that I get asked on a day-to-day basis as someone who sees patients in a clinical setting. And so I hope that Eat to Be Illness is a really good resource to start people's health journey on without it being a fad, without it being restrictive and making it more uh, convenient and acceptable to a large majority of people. Um, One of the things you'll notice in the book is that the recipes jump through different cuisines and that's reflective of the fact that I live in London and I see tons of people from different ethnicities all the time, Chinese, Korean, Indian, Middle Eastern, all all the different types and that's what I wanted my cooking to reflect. Excellent. Um, And along with food as medicine, mind-gut connection, that's a term that I think has kind of grown in popularity and, and awareness. Could you frame that and how that, again, you've talked about mental health with food. Could you talk about the mind-gut connection and yeah. how that plays into this book? Sure, yeah. So it, it plays in a number of different chapters. So the very first chapter is all about brain health. And I talk about neurodegenerative disease, the fact that dementia is now one of the biggest killers in the UK, if not the biggest killer. Um, mental health as well and how we uh, live in a psychogenic environment, one that is conducive toward Uh, a propensity of of having mental health issues. In fact, I recently had Professor Felice Jacker on my podcast and we were talking about the global burden of disease and how mental health is the number one cause of that. Um, And the mind-gut connection is exceptionally special. So to understand that, you really need to understand what our gut is about. And our gut houses the trillions of different microbes largely bacteria but also including fungi and nematodes and even viruses that are situated mostly in the large intestine. We do have bacteria and microbes everywhere in our mouths and our skin etc. And this population of microbes are responsible for yes digestion and yes producing micronutrients like vitamins and minerals but they also modulate inflammation they regulate our blood sugar, they create neurotransmitters, they put all these different hormones into our circulation. And this population is absolutely inseparable from health. And with that knowledge, we know that if we can modulate our diet, we can modulate and nurture this population better, and that can have measurable impacts on all those different features that I mentioned. And those have impacts on our brain, um, both in a physical way, but also in a, in a mental health capacity, and a psychological capacity as well. We previously thought that inflammation uh, in our bloodstream was unable to cross and go into the brain because of something called the blood-brain barrier. And now we know actually that's not true. And so when you are inflamed through what you're eating, your poor sleep habits and lack of exercise, all those different things, you're actually um, inflaming the brain and that can be modulated by what you put on your place as well as all the other things and lifestyle factors this isn't to discount that you know we do need pharmaceuticals and we do need other interventions but as an adjunct to therapy our plates are very very powerful interventions so this mind gut connection i think is fascinating we still don't know uh, uh, enough about it and it's very much in its infancy but i am witnessing a lot of things exciting um, frontiers in the literature talking about things like psychobiotics where we can introduce probiotics that are specially formulated for the person to improve that gut uh, uh, bacteria population that may have some impact on mental health as well but for now it comes down to those principles always comes back to the principles lots of fiber lots of quality fats lots of colors uh, and enjoying your food as well fascinating Um, and I know spices are a big thing in this book as well could you give listeners maybe just some quick samples of 
maybe some power foods, power spices you highly recommend. And then also maybe some commonly accepted healthy foods, healthy in quotations, yeah, that yeah. you would recommend avoiding in general. Oh, okay, avoiding. So, I mean, spices, I think, are, are a window into different micronutrients and phytonutrients that you can uh, get from, from culinary sources. So it really goes down to what, you, what kind of cuisine you enjoy eating because there's a spice and a herb for that. So, uh, you, you know, going back again to what I was saying about, you know, different cuisines, if you like Mediterranean, basil, rosemary, uh, lavender, oregano, they are just as impressive as the more exotic spices like turmeric and ashwagandha and sumac and cinnamon. Um, so when you when you combine all these different um, uh, herbs and spices, you're not only introducing flavor into your food, but you're also introducing function. And we know a lot about how these different chemicals housed in these different spices and herb compounds have drastic anti-inflammatory benefits. They support your gut. They can improve your nervous system as well. They're commonly recognized as something called adaptogens, which are um, substances that we introduce into our bodies that can improve our cognitive well-being. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there's so many different ones to, to choose from. My personal favorite at the moment is a blend called Zatar, which is a Middle Eastern blend. It has sesame, sumac, uh, cayenne pepper, cumin. It's just wonderful. You put it on salads and it's great. Um, and, I, and I always put a, a herb and, and dressing section at the back of the book, um, both books, because I think that's a, a great way, a great vehicle of getting herbs and spices into your food as much as possible. And the healthy stuff, I mean, it's interesting because, um, you know, we're, we're witnessing a, a wellness sort of revolution. And unfortunately, with that comes the, uh, the negative aspect of people just trying to jump on a bandwagon and misinform without really getting to the true principles of what and why they're trying to do that. So healthy cookie bars and healthy snacks and, and all those kind of um, foods that you'll probably see in lots of supermarkets and grocery stores around are not going to be that much better than their refined counterparts. So your typical crisp, typical chocolate bar is probably going to be just as detrimental as the healthier quote-unquote version. So really, when I look at a plate of food, I'm just trying to see, is it as whole as possible? Is it as uh, minimally processed as possible? And that is what constitutes a healthy item or a healthy ingredient because it just, it, Mother Nature has given us this perfect form food. And when we refine it, when we take things away, we take out the nutrients, we take out uh, the fiber, we take out the beauty of what makes it medicinal. And with kind of like the current health crisis around like diet like diet and eating i think one thing you've mentioned on your podcast before it seems like health and cooking are often severely kind of undertaught mm. particularly like when kids in their formative years like and you with someone you're trying to bring into this not only are you trying to teach them how to cook healthy sometimes you might be trying to teach them how to cook if they have little or no experience like so do you have any effective ways that you draw people in who have little to no cooking experience? Yeah, yeah. So it's something that we discuss quite a bit in, uh, in my nonprofit, Culinary Medicine. So we're, we're teaching um, uh, doctors and medical students how to cook. Um, and one of the modules is how to cook from food uh, that's sourced from food banks. So in the UK alone, we have a population of around 70 million. Four million people are still reliant on food banks. So the reason why I wanted to introduce that is because A, not only people do, do some people not have access to fresh um, food, 
um, but they also don't have cooking appliances to create them. A lot of people just have a microwave or even even you know not having a stove or the actual saucepans and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and it's something that's helped me designing that module with my colleagues who are registered dietitians and psychologists um, has helped my sort of um, uh, clinical practice as well. So, uh, you know, trying to f figure out what is the next best meal for that person? How do I get them to improve their breakfast? Is it switching from a cereal to oats? Is it adding a little bit of pumpkin seed on top of their granola? It is, is it, you know, taking out the white pasta and introducing a brown pasta? Um, and for those reliant on food banks, you know, you can actually make super healthy meals from canned chickpeas and legumes, even canned vegetables as well. It doesn't, obviously, for me, that's not what I would choose, but for a lot of people, that's their option. And that really is personalized medicine in itself. It's personalizing it to not only their taste and their convenience, but what they can afford as well. Excellent. Well, I think that does it for my questions. National Cooking Day. Oh, right. We have to call it National Cooking Day, which is Wednesday, September 25th. Oh, nice. So, yeah, big deal there. What are you going to be cooking? Ooh, that's a great question. We have lots of options. Yeah. Something yeah. from Eat to Be Illness, oh, there you which go. is on sale on September 17th. There so, we go. Yes, nice. excellent. Well, Chris, we should talk about what Lainey made. From the cookbook. Oh, yeah, let's let's give a quick call out. Lainey Mays, my colleague, made a recipe from the book. Lainey, you want to give us a little overview? Yes. <laughs> Let me see. I'm going to find the page so that I can... I mean, uh, it looks delicious. Well, uh, help yourself. And it smells amazing as well. So It yeah. looks healthy yeah. and delicious. I'm, yes. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's testament to how easy it is to cook, right? Right. It, yeah. it didn't take very long. You know, you just get the ingredients uh -huh. and then you chop everything and yeah. it, I found it very easy. This one is in particular, it says for immunity. Mm -hmm. um, so P or a yeah, day yeah. with purple sprouting broccoli and hazelnuts. So um, it was really yummy. I mean, I love pasta. I'm always oh, a pasta person and I actually really like wheat pasta, so uh -huh. I don't mind um, switching over. But I think that was one of the main points of this, right? Yeah. To move from, to or move to whole wheat pasta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, the, one of the things that I always try to in encourage people to do is experiment with kitchen herbs and, and spices and uh, getting as much variety as possible. And, and in that recipe alone, you know, we have purple sprout and broccoli, but you can use tender stem or regular broccoli, that's absolutely fine. Peas, um, nuts, hazelnuts, you know, a lot of people don't put nuts and teas in their, in their food. And, and granted, if you have an allergy, then you shouldn't. But if you don't, you, you know, it's a fantastic way of getting good quality whole fats into right. your diet that support not only your immune system, but your, your mental health. Um, your gut um, and uh, your brain health as well. I mean, I, I mean it's just everything in a, in a pasta dish. Yeah, I think the best part is the lemon because you put zest in it, so it just smells so nice. good. Nice, yeah, yeah. Um, which when I think of, like, being healthy is like, put a lemon in yeah. something. Yeah. So maybe that's yeah. where But, yeah, so we're going to be able to try that, and we'll put the recipe um, up so you guys can too. Epic. Yeah, Lainey heated it up this morning, and... People started to ask you, where is that? Who, who's cooking that? We want some. This was at 9 o'clock yeah. or something. People, the hunger still existed. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. pretty to look at, too. Like, there's your color and that crunch of the nuts. It's it's delicious. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, thank you for joining us. Of course. Yeah. It's my pleasure, guys. All right. Uh,
Thanks um, for the support. Yeah, it was excellent. I hope everyone learned something and you have, you're hungry and ready to cook. <laughs> um, it was so much fun. Thank you, Dr. Ruby, for joining us today. Uh, and again, Eat to Be Illness, 80 Simple Delicious Recipes Inspired by the Science of Food as Medicine, goes on sale September 17th. And again, thank you so much for joining us today.